from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. I'm Beth Oppenheimer, researcher here, and today I'm with the CER's director, Charles Grant, to discuss a busy week for Brexit. Hi, Charles. Hi, Beth. So it's the first week of March. The UK is due to leave the EU this month. There's been a lot of commotion in Westminster. Parliament's been busy with amendments. A junior minister and a backbench Tory MP have just resigned. But amid all the noise, what we want to know is, has anything important actually happened? Has anything changed? So let's start with the obvious. Will Theresa May get her deal through Parliament on March the 12th? Well, Beth, until very recently, I would have said the chances of her deal getting through Parliament were minimal. Because last time she put it to Parliament, she was defeated by some 230 votes. And I haven't seen any particular reason to think that would change. But I guess there is now some gossip at Westminster that the chances are greater than they seemed. Partly because she essentially gave in on the substance of the so-called Cooper-Letwin motion and has accepted that if her deal doesn't pass by March the 12th, she'll put a vote on no deal to Parliament on March the 13th, which Parliament will certainly reject, and then allow a vote on the 14th on extending Article 50 for a a further period. That essentially takes no deal off the agenda, at least for now, and reminds people that there's no parliamentary majority for no deal, and reminds Tory MPs, particularly those in the ERG who don't like her Brexit deal, that if they don't vote for a Brexit deal, there will be an extension of Article 50, and who knows where that ends up. It could end up possibly in... Brexit not happening at all. So I think the fact that May has accepted the Cooper-Letwin proposal will persuade some uh, backbench Tory MPs who don't like a deal to vote for it for fear of what may happen if they don't vote for it. And everybody at Westminster says that the Democratic Unionist Party from Northern Ireland is looking for a ladder to climb down in their opposition to May's deal. They don't like it because it creates checks on goods going across the Irish Sea from Great Britain into Northern Ireland. They really don't like it at all, but they are apparently wanting a compromise. They f- they fear no deal, which wouldn't be at all good for Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland. I think if Geoffrey Cox, the Attorney General, can come back from Brussels and say, we've got some amendments and changes to the deal to make clear that the ba- Irish backstop is not perpetual, that there is a way out of it, then the DUP will use that as a ladder to climb down, and that'll lead a lot of the ERG, the right-wing Tory group, to climb down as well. The trouble for Mrs May is, I don't think Mr Cox is going to come back with very much at all. Mm. You mentioned the ERG. There's also been some interesting dynamics taking shape this week with the ERG. So you mentioned this Cooper Amendment and actually that fractured the ERG in a way that we perhaps weren't expecting. So we had, I think, only 20 ERG MPs not voting for the Cooper Amendment. So most of them actually did vote for it. And we also had an interesting interview with Jacob Rees-Mogg in the FT, Mm -hmm. where he struck a bit more of a pacifying tone. So whilst you're talking about the DUP possibly looking for ladders to climb down, it seems like that's something that the ERG are looking for as well. 
I think I think that's right. I think some in the ERG are finally waking up to the fact there is no majority in Parliament for a no-deal Brexit, however much they might wish for it, that if Brexit is postponed, it, they may end up with a softer Brexit than Mrs May's deal, or possibly no Brexit at all via a referendum. But the, the question then is, what if anything, and Mr Barclay can come back from Brussels with, but if you talk to people in Brussels, they clearly say they're not going to change the substance of the Irish backstop. They're not going to allow the British a unilateral lateral exit mechanism or a time limit on it and they don't believe that technology can solve solve the issue of the Irish border what they might say is they might put into legal language in some sort of legally binding codicil that could be deposited at the United Nations to make it look like a treaty language saying by definition this backstop is created under article 50 of the EU treaties which means that it cannot be perpetual because article 50 is all about a process of leaving the EU so they can say it is not considered to be perpetual Mr Cox might be able to say that if it's a treaty deposited at the UN, then according to international law, if one side of an international treaty is in material breach of that treaty, the other side is allowed to get out of the treaty. I mean, there are things that Mr Cox could say. He might be able to give the ERG and the DUP a very thin and flimsy fig leaf to cover themselves with, but if, they, if they're prepared to, to go for a thin and flimsy fig leaf, Mrs May could win, because although... 20 or 30 ERG will certainly vote against the deal. There may be 20 or 30 Labour MPs voting for it, she will hope, because they worry that if the deal doesn't go through, there could be a referendum. And there's a small number of Labour MPs who are very scared of the referendum because they think it would be seen by their voters in Leave constituencies as a betrayal. So I guess there is a chance that Mrs May's deal will go through, but I guess I'm, I, I'd put the chances as perhaps 35%, perhaps, I think less than 50%, because I don't think Mr Cox is going to come back with very much in the end. You've spoken about fig leaves for people that are going to be opposed to the backstop, but we haven't spoken about possible fig leaves or gestures towards more Remain-leaning MPs. So do you think that there's any way that Theresa May will have to sweeten the political declaration in order to get Remain-leaning MPs on side and maybe gesture towards a more close future relationship between the UK and the EU? Well, that's what I thought for a long time was one of the more likely outcomes of the Brexit process. Because I think if you say, where is the middle ground in the British Parliament? It is probably to accept the result of the last referendum, to go for Brexit, but go for a softer Brexit than Mrs May has hitherto negotiated. Certainly a full-time a full permanent customs union, and perhaps, if possible, elements of the Norway-type single market arrangement. That, I think, is where the majority in Parliament lies. Probably half the Tory party in Parliament could accept that. That most of the Labour Party could. And I think that is possible that if her plan B, which is her current plan, fails, she may then reach out to the opposition and say, well, let's change the political declaration and go for a softer Brexit. It's possible she'll do that, but I've become a little bit more sceptical about that prospect recently because I, it's quite clear that there's no trust between the Tory party and the Labour Party. And if Mrs May does reach out to the left of the political spectrum for a softer Brexit, her own party would be split down the middle completely. Half the Tory party in Parliament would be horrified. They would then perhaps vote against her. Her, the government, her government would lose authority. A lot of Tory ministers would resign. The government could collapse. That could trigger a general election. And anyway, even if for a meaningful vote she can get a deal through on that basis for a softer Brexit. Could she then get the legislation through which follows? There are six or seven important bills to implement Brexit which have to follow the meaningful vote. And is there a legislative majority to push that through with a, a collection of Tory moderates and the Labour Party? Many, many people in the government I speak to say they don't think there is. So I've become a bit more sceptical about the prospects for a softer Brexit. That's certainly where the majority in Parliament lies. So I'd put the, pro 
the chances of that is perhaps 20% at the moment. Mm. So I think you said 35% chance that the deal will pass. Mm. So if it doesn't pass, we're then left with two possible other outcomes, which is no deal or a possible extension, which is now made more likely by the passage of the Cooper Amendment. What kind of probability would you put an extension of Article 50 at? And what do you think that's likely to look like if there is an extension? Well, I think all the possible outcomes require at least a slight extension of Article 50, even if Mrs May's deal passes on March the 12th in a meaningful vote. Getting the the major pieces of legislation through, plus all the statutory instruments, which is the sort of minor legislation through, will require probably a few weeks more beyond March the 29th. So that, I think, a small extension is essential if the deal goes through. If for any reason Parliament decides for no deal, which I think is impossible, but if that did happen, there would have to be a bit of an extension because the government isn't ready for no deal, as they've made quite clear in recent weeks. They would have to need more time to make the preparations for no deal of at least another month or two. And then if the political declaration is renegotiated for a softer Brexit, which I said is a possible outcome, that would require a few more weeks of negotiation with the EU and then another month or two for the legislation to be passed. So I think all those options require a short extension. Now, if there's a general election or another referendum, we're talking of several months extension, probably beyond the European elections in late May, which would create, of course, big problems for the EU. But I do think um, no deal, if you talk to people in Brussels, they regard no deal as quite possible or even plausible. I'm not uh, with them on that. I think we've seen Parliament has a very strong majority against no deal. And any government in London which tried to promote no deal or even just drift towards no deal or permit no deal would be brought down by a combination of the opposition plus moderate Tories who'd vote against no deal, the national interest would come first. So I don't think a no deal is likely, even though it is, of course, the default option. And if nothing else happens to stop it, no deal, then no deal does happen on March the 29th. We leave without a deal. I'd, I'd say the chances of no deal were perhaps 10%, which leaves two other options, which is the general election and the referendum. So... Is a general election a possibility? Because the received wisdom has been that the Tories don't want a general election, they're terrified of having another election campaign, and it's very difficult for them to now get rid of May. It's almost impossible to get rid of her now. So would they allow that to happen, or are there triggers where a general election might end up happening, even though the Tories don't actually want it? Well, I think the the prospects of a general election have perhaps become a little more likely in recent weeks with the creation of the so-called Tiggers, the the independent group, the new party that we've seen emerging from the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. Uh, I think that until recently, the Tory party believed that a general election could lead to a Corbyn government. And that's such a horrifying prospect to most Tories that they really wouldn't want to do anything to trigger that. Plus, the difficulty the Tories have is what would they say about Europe in their manifesto? Would they be for May's deal, for no deal, for a second referendum, for a softer Brexit? They're very divided. So it would be embarrassing for them to have an election campaign. Now, that, that second point still pertains. It would be difficult for them to know what to say about Europe. But the first point is greatly diminished. With the creation of the independent group, it now looks fairly unlikely that Labour could win an election because the independent group is stealing votes from Labour, according to the latest opinion polls, quite substantial numbers of Labour votes. I don't see how Labour could win an election now. So that may remove one of the obstacles to the holding of an election. Uh, and I think that if Parliament is blocked and other options like a May's deal is ruled out and a softer Brexit doesn't happen and there's no majority for a referendum, then in a complete blockage to kind of shake the dice and unblock the blockage, I could imagine Parliament agreeing to have a general election. So I think that's possible. I'd put that prospect at perhaps 20%.
Okay, and then the other possibility is this idea of a second referendum. So this week, Labour's alternative Brexit plan was defeated in the Commons and Corbyn has finally moved to backing a referendum. So he's said Labour will table an amendment in the Commons for a second referendum around the time of the meaningful vote, so March the 12th. Does this actually change anything? Can a second referendum actually achieve a majority in the Commons? Well, it is interesting that Corbyn has now committed Labour sort of to a second referendum. The reason is quite evident. He, he saw that a lot of his MPs would jump ship to join the independent group unless he promised that. His promise has prevented so far other Labour MPs joining the nine who have already left. By all accounts, Corbyn and his closest advisers are not keen on the idea of a referendum. They're not fans of the European Union. They're scared of upsetting traditional Labour voters in northern constituencies. And they've done it to prevent defections and, and because the membership of the party is mostly strongly committed to a second referendum. So that has removed one of the obstacles to a referendum, which was the lack of support from the Labour leadership. But the, the other obstacle, or the, the main obstacle remains, which is there is not at present a majority in Parliament for a referendum. Even if Labour comes out for it in a vote on what to do, probably 20 or 30 Labour MPs at least, perhaps more, would vote against a three-line whip because they're scared of their Lever voters in their constituencies and don't think that there should be a referendum. How many Tory MPs would vote for one? Well, about 10 have declared in public for one, such as Joe Johnson, the former minister. The independent group, of course, is for one. But uh, there may be others who are ministers, some of those more pro-European ministers, who would in private support a referendum but wouldn't dare to say so in public at the moment for fear of upsetting their colleagues. So I think unless you get significant numbers of Tories changing their mind, it's hard to see how a referendum could be approved. Now, this, this could change if, in a few weeks' time, Mrs May's deal fails to get through Parliament, if a softer Brexit doesn't emerge from the chaos in Parliament, if there isn't an election and we're looming towards the cliff edge of Article 50 coming to an end because the EU might not grant a second extension beyond, say, the end of June, then I could, one could conceive of a referendum becoming more attractive to more Conservative MPs. And indeed, it is even conceivable that Mrs May might be tempted by one. There is the so-called Kyle Wilson proposal by two backbench Labour MPs who've said, why don't we the Labour Party, support Mrs May's deal, vote it through Parliament, or at least abstain to allow it to go through, on condition that she puts it to a confirmatory vote in a referendum, then the referendum would be May's deal or remain. Now, that would be illegitimate as far as many Eurosceptics are concerned who don't like May's deal or remain. They want a harder Brexit or a no-deal Brexit. But one could see how if Mrs May can't get a deal through Parliament by any other means, could possibly be tempted by a deal with the Labour Party, though that, of course, would be dangerous for her because it would annoy her own right wing very much. So I'd say the chances of a referendum are about 15%, but, but could go up if, if other options fail. So to conclude, the most likely option, you believe is that MPs will vote for May's deal. That is the most likely single option. Yes, I'd put it at the current version of May's deal, less than 50% chance, but it's more likely than the other unlikely options. And yeah. if you combine together the prospects of May's deal going through in its current form or in a softer form with a different political declaration, we're getting up to a little over 50%. I think her deal is looking, looks like it has more legs in it now than it did a few, a few months ago. Charles, thank you very much for leading us through all of this noise. And I have a feeling we're going to be back here again soon, asking you to be the oracle again. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the CEA podcast. If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CEA underscore EU.